0: i'm brian myers i'm mike Rotalik. i'm becky haddad and this is owl pellets a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers we are your agricultural education resource across the web sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day
1: hey owl pellets welcome back um i am here with brian and mike and we're going to spend some time over the next Couple episodes talking about a report from the National Academies Press. There are actually two of them. Brian and Mike are old enough to remember the first one, which is How People Learn. Hey, one. hey, hey, no. hey, hey, hey. It was written on paper. It was not papyrus
0: <laughs> or stone tablets or anything.
1: So, not the prequel. No. Just the first one. Um, but then there is also an updated version, How People Learn, too. But before we start, the... uh, two
0: as a number two, not How People yes. Learn as well.
1: Right. Yes. How okay. People Learn. One, two. (laughs) So we're gonna start off today just kind of getting oriented in the conversation as far as kind of how the National Academies Press puts these together. What we've learned in how people learn one that informs how we're gonna talk about how people learn two and then kind of how we have a conversation around learning science.
2: Yeah, so if we rewind a generation ago, the first uh, textbook really came out. Woo, generation ago. Your generation. Wow. Well, I learned (laughs) something at some point. So National Academy of Sciences had a group of faculty. And and I think if we if we look back and think about um, what's taken place There was a lot of uh, brain-based research going on and and, uh, there was a group of faculty and experts that got together and really started unpacking what they really knew about um, how how people learn. And this text really provided us a good opportunity to kind of frame out those elements and pieces that uh, really set the stage for us to think about uh, student learning. And I think this is a good time for us to spend uh, a little bit of time just unpacking that first text and we're really probably there might be some other nuggets in there but there's really three main points that we're going to spend some time talking about today and uh, for those of you that are uh, taking notes at home those, playing the home game yeah, hey, right. they are
1: yep. driving listening to this what are you talking about <laughs> there you go that's they a... are driving they are, they are cleaning
0: Mowing the grass the owl <laughs> yeah. pellets home game
1: Let me sit can here you write that down let's,
2: let's do that <laughs> I was thinking of Brian, how he watches baseball games with a scorebook in his hand. So Doesn't uh, everybody? Well, so. I,
1: is there another way to watch baseball? No. It's really the question we see. <laughs> <And> there's <laughs> no other
2: way to listen to
1: our there you go. Than
2: to than to take notes. Excellent. So those three points that we're going to unpack. Uh, the first one, students have a preconceived notion uh, when they come to class. The second one is around developing competency and I think we'll probably end up spending a little bit of time talking about experts versus novices and that that little piece. And then the really the third element and piece that we're going to unpack a little bit is this whole idea of metacognition um, and how people learn how to learn and, and take on their own learning so we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, just talking about those because i think they do have a lot of uh, impact and a lot of insight that uh, um, we could really put into
0: our classrooms it, the, the cool thing i like about this report back so long ago when it came out becky was i don't think the authors do it but they're talking about Aget. i mean Aget is throughout this who we, who we say we are is really is really a, a big part of this. And I think some of the things who, what our history tells us works, we need to make sure we don't lose as, as we transition to the next generation of ideas. So I think it's really important for us to spend a little bit of time here talking about these key ideas. Um, the big one, you know, preconceived notions. How often do we say you've got to deal with what the students are bringing in here, the things they learn, the things they see, that that kind of that's not this we can't just pop it in and the other challenging part of it is it's not like there's just one preconceived notion in that classroom you have a classroom of 25 30 students each one of them have a different perceived preconceived notion that you have to deal with as a teacher absolutely and and
2: the thing that comes to mind for me is and, and we probably hear it more now but you got to meet the students where they' where they're at and too many times we make assumptions about our students and and what they already know and, and what they want to learn and and, and the uh, preconceived notions whether they're accurate or misperceptions we gotta we got to meet them where they're at because if there's a gap um, no matter what kind of teachings happening in the classroom students aren't going to get it uh, because there's that, that all, uh, initial disconnect. So I think there's a, lots of opportunities for us to think about how we rewind or go back and teach or reteach to make sure that we're making those connections with um, our students. And knowing, and sometimes I, I see some classes where you know the teacher is the expert in the room. So they just stand up and start providing content and factual information without even knowing if that's where they ought to start. And so thinking about how you ask questions and go and and, and probe students to have a general idea of what's going on, I think is an important element to this.
1: I think recognizing that a preconceived notion isn't necessarily wrong. I think your mind immediately goes to, well, people don't know that chocolate milk doesn't come from brown cows, but it might just be that we're milking camels or goats or something else instead of a cow. And none of the, like, You can get milk from all of those things but it's a very different conversation and so when we think about like what is our students context for all of that i think that's a real like it's a a really critical piece just that preconceived notion doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're wrong
0: right and that's that's really important becky that you we value what the students do come bring bring with them and you know to understand that they're not all starting out at zero and how do you help that student show off what they know and let other people let them teach other people, and that goes back into the whole motivation of things as well, and really helping them feel like, hey, I, I do have some experiences. I, I I work on the you know the, on the lawnmower on weekends with my with one of my you know my dad, or I raise a garden, or I you know I cook something to, to do those sort of things and have them share that experiences with their classmates. I think it's pretty cool, and so often we don't take advantage of it. Because you're right. What did I do? I started off on the negative side. You got to fix. You got to fix their <laughs> your, your preconceived notions. Not all of them are, are bad.
2: So I think you know there's there's some opportunities there when we think about uh, climate change or people's eating habits and whether you know they're meat eaters or um, vegans. And and so when if you don't have that context. How do you shape that conversation to help students kind of learn and grow and, and develop in those areas? Uh, I think, and, and so this this whole idea, we're not students are not coming into the classroom as blank slates, and we got to figure out what's on that slate so that we can uh, help them uh, continue
0: to grow and learn. Some people are more like an edge sketch than a slate. <laughs>
1: I don't know why we're shaking people. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, oh, no. <laughs> I, I am not. I am not
0: uh, suggesting we shake people. we erase them you know, to do that. But you know, the first thing you know, the one thing that pops in my head here, we talk about this, is all this work on ag literacy. Mm-hmm. You know, how are we trying to get people to under? You know, start where they are, whether what, what their food choices are. How do you help help them understand all the different parts and pieces that that are part of the ag and natural resources industry? Mm-hmm. We sometimes we go we go both ways. Either we assume they already know all the acronyms and they know mm. all the the insider baseball of all this kind of stuff. Or we assume that they're absolutely wrong and we go in guns a blazing to try to solve everything. And so we probably need to have a, a more realistic idea. This is tough for a teacher, though, because like I said, you're going to have 25, 30 students in a classroom. How do you figure out what those students preconceived ideas are before you can start every single time?
1: It isn't where Becky has the answer. Becky does not have the answer. Um, we're gonna have to edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> I was all set to kick it to Mike for the next thing.
2: <laughs> so let let's move on to this next thing, though. So the the second piece that we talked a little bit about was um, competency, and and certainly like Brian mentioned earlier, talk about career and tech ed, talk about ag ed, we're always talking about competency. And too often, I think we, we think about maybe the skill development on the competency competency side and not necessarily the cognitive or the knowledge side of, of competency. And, and And so the text talks a little bit, of, in order for competency to develop, there's really three things that need to happen. You need to have deep foundation of factual knowledge um, need to understand facts and ideas around uh, or within a framework and then those um, facts and that framework needs to be organized in a way that you can uh, either retrieve it when needed or uh, apply it and so I think to me this makes a lot of sense when we start thinking about um, competency and understanding this and and you know what uh, uh, Think about uh, some of our students who, and we'll, I know we'll talk a little bit about pre-service teachers and new teachers uh, through this as, uh, as novices. Mm-hmm. And so many times a novice, and, and think about this as a college student, when you're cramming for a test, all you were trying to do is remember the facts and you wanted to remember them long enough that you could take the exam and the retention on that knowledge just didn't hold, uh, generally speaking. And so we know that, um, you know, we got to know and understand those facts, but we got to, we got to frame them in a mental map in a way that makes sense and, and so that they can be used um, uh, down the road.
1: I think this one's a little scary for our students when we think about just the array of not like, take just the animal science class and the terminology associated with the animal science class. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot for our students, but I think it's also a lot for our teachers in a lot of content areas. When we think about like, can I be competent if I don't have that deep factual knowledge and art? Like, am I going to get my students to deep factual knowledge from when they start to, to the end? And if I haven't, have they learned? And so some of that I think is not just, it's, there's a part of how do we measure competency, but there's also a part of, you know, not all of our facts stay at that fact level. I'm not just, I'm not gonna just come up to you and treat it like trivia all the time and just spit it back out. And I think about like, you think about language learning, like I may not be able to translate it for you, but I can understand it in context and I can organize that. And when we think about don't like, we don't stay in competency or organizing for that retrieval and that application.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think that's an interesting point. And, and one that um, I've spent some time thinking about just because there's, there's this assumption in society that you get some, you get taught something once you're going to have a high level of competency, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't need to learn it again, or I don't need to take another class on it. So, you know, I, I took animal science. I'm good. Time to move on. Right. And we don't think about, the reiterations that we have to go through, whether it's, you know, think, think about it on a scale from, you know, maybe in that freshman ed class, you're just introducing a topic and you come back later and, and reinforce it to, and, and come back again at another time to see that the students are actually mastering that. And then that's where the competency develops instead of just assuming that, uh, you know, you, um, you know, taught that once or, um what have you and that's that's it I, I got it you know i teachers i covered that in class right. so we can move on <laughs> right. you know, how many times do we hear ourselves saying that well students should know that i covered that right what's that mean to student learning though and, and has students been able to put that in a mental framework or in a uh, in, in a
0: way that they understand and, and can retrieve that at a later time i think one of the biggest places for all this, I think is, is in problem solving and decision making. How do they utilize that information? because you're never going to have all the facts. You will never have a 100% of all the facts to make any decision. But how much how big of a gap could be with what you the facts you have to the facts that you need that you need that you need to get before you make a decision? How, how big can that be when you can start kind of putting things together from your experience and the knowledge that you do have? And um, you know, this the one of the things that this this uh when this report came out that really hit me was this idea between expert and novice and the difference the way an expert solves a problem as compared to a novice solves a problem. And a lot of the examples they use are, are ag mechanic examples. They don't call them that in, in the in the report, but they really are. Like when an engine won't start, the way an expert mechanic addresses that problem is very different than this beginning novice mechanic. And I think the same thing happened with our pre-service and in-service teachers is we need to make sure that we're talking to them like novices to get them to how they can make better decisions and solve problems differently to get to that expert level.
1: Yeah.
2: I think one of the one of the things that this made me think about, too, from that, that factual knowledge piece is society thinks that we don't have to teach facts anymore because we, we got the Google machine. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is Google it and we'll know it. But if, if we think about all of these concepts together, we got to understand, have the factual knowledge in order to build a mental framework to be able to understand how that small engine works and what system that you're trying to um, fix or where that problem may be so you can troubleshoot it uh, going forward. And you can't do that without having a strong factual foundation behind you. The third um, item that we uh, talk a little bit about in that book is um, a metacognitive approach to learning. And, and this is this is probably where it can be a little bit of a leap. I know it was a leap for me um, as an ag teacher trying to think about how I can help students take control of their own learning. And so thinking about how do we frame and organize curriculum so that students can um, identify their learning goals or we communicate the learning goals? And then how do we monitor progress as we move forward?
0: Well, I think the big thing there is how, how do we help our students know how to monitor their own progress yeah. and t- take their feedback on this thing? It's like um, you're growing plants in the greenhouse. How do I know if things are going well? when I can see the, what, what, what am I looking for in the soil, in the plant when it's doing this thing? What do I need to look at when I'm in with the animal or with the mechanic project? And to be self-aware enough to be able to do that rather than having to have you as the teacher tell them. That's right. I mean, that's important for you to get that feedback from you, but they need to be able to say, okay, I'm making progress here. And I, I go back, is like 2000 was a long time ago, Back. This is back when I was in <laughs> high school. I. He, we didn't call it this, but my ag teacher was teaching us these skills with the way that he organized and set up our MFA chapter. Because we had to sit here and as run that chapter. And okay, did, were we successful? For, I mean, he was always teaching, whether it was a fundraiser or a community event or uh, just plan on a certain meeting and make us okay, what's your goals? How are you going to set this up? What's the timeline? What, what's your progress? You're happy, you're, you're, you're in, in accomplishing that. And that stuck with me mm-hmm. for a lot of years now, Becky. <laughs> um, to, because that's how we learned it. I think that's a good example of how the FFA is also a classroom.
2: And one of the things that I think about is an activity that uh, I'm sure some, some teachers use is the, the KWL. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what, asking the students to kind of process and you know, list out on this topic, what do I, what do I know about the topic? Um, "What do I want to know? And then towards the end, focus on what they've learned and, and kind of going back to that reflective piece, but also helping them kind of frame and out and it's meeting students where they're at because mm-hmm. we're asking them what they already know. We're putting them in their in charge of their own learning because we're asking them what they want to learn in regards to that, and then that reflective
0: piece at the end so that they're thinking about their own their own learning. So. And a little bit of foreshadowing when we start talking about you know the how people learn too we talk about that control over learning mm-hmm. is still so important and i think i think it showed up here i think we're going to see more there and i and I, I really going to challenge our, our teachers out there to be thinking about how do we how do we do that and for those of us that are control freaks this is a challenge to, to give them that you know help the students define learning goals and monitor progress and how do you do that again with 25 30 students in the classroom six, eight classes a day is, is, is hard.
1: I think it gets, I mean, it certainly gets scary to of students, like, you think about times we've taken control of our own learning and things, it's like, we know what happens. When we take <laughs> like, that's why it's so scary for teachers, because we know what happens when we get to take control of our own learning. Yeah. But I think one of the things that's, that's important when we think about the metacognitive piece, especially having it as that third one, is these, these aren't separate, like, you do this thing and then you do, they're not steps. So Mm -hmm. when we think about the metacognitive piece and where I got in trouble before, when Brian threw me under the bus about (laughs) preconceived notions, solve the world's problems. Like by having our students in charge of their own learning and setting goals and monitoring their own progress, we're able to see where are those preconceived notions? What are those things that are, I think something that we sometimes miss when we test is we don't always catch what students think they know. And like there's the know what you know and know what you don't and know the difference. And having our students really in this metacognitive space is that knowing the difference. And so helping using that to, to go back to okay, what were those preconceived notions? How do we build on that? How do we then build that factual base up again? And then how do we go? How do we just keep going around that process?
0: Well, and I think we talked about defining their, their learning goals and taking control of the learning. It's not, it's not all or nothing. Mm-hmm. As as the teacher, we could still provide the guardrails and at the beginning guardrails are pretty narrow their 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 choices are fairly narrow and as they as they gain the decision making skills and expertise we can broaden that a little bit um to do that because it's i think and i am guilty of this too we think it's too often all or nothing it's like either i have to be in complete control and it's completely teacher you know driven or i have that a student driven or classroom or yeah. it's you know complete chaos sorry a little value judgment there um, <laughs> but, <laughs> There's a whole continuum that that you that you can still give them control over different aspects and pieces. We won't necessarily geek out about it, but I
2: think we will geek out to that point. (laughs) Um, Adult learning principles. If we go get into some Malcolm Knowles stuff, um, he's got a chart in one of his books that uh, talks about the maturity that you really need to talk about. Control of your own learning, monitoring your own learning, setting your own goals, and we're going to see students that in high school age students that some of them are going to be mature enough in in their cognitive processes that they can really take charge of that. Mm-hmm. And yet, and in that same class, we're going to have students that we, like you said, we got to have those guardrails on pretty tight and narrow because those those students aren't necessarily ready for it. So. It's a it's a unique time, I think, in, in our high school setting because we do have that wide range of students that some of them are ready to go and just kind of take and run with their own learning. And you got others that you gotta kind of still kind of hold their hand as they're moving through that process. And,
0: and we're trying to juggle both of those kind of simultaneously. Yeah. Well, I think this is this is a really good report. I think we I think we kind of talked about the beginning, but this whole report came back out of they looked at hundreds of studies and kind of found what are, what are all these things come together. and So here in Alpelis, we, we do a really good job, I think I'll ourselves in the back, of finding good research and talking about each one individually and how to apply it. This one comes back and they've really kind of brought all these things together to see these, these really key nuggets. And, I, and again, I think there's so much of things in here that we can, we do, we, can, we should continue to apply in our school-based ag ed setting. They don't use the words, but they talk about SAEs in this thing a lot too. It's project learning, that kind of thing.
2: And if we piqued anyone's interest, if you type in how people learn, it's available through the National Academies. And you can certainly buy the book, but it's also downloadable free um, into a digital uh, format too. So if you want to unpack it a little bit more, it's actually relatively easy. And if you're geeks like us, fun read. <laughs> so
0: take take advantage of that if you'd like. Very cool. Well. Um... Take. Hopefully this got, got you guys kind of excited about it. We we're going to talk about how people learn to the sequel, right? Yeah. Not also. Not also. Not also. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be sprinkling these throughout the entire season here. And so you guys are seeing what is happening out there in the general education research and how we apply it. So I uh, really appreciate you all listening and appreciate all that you guys do out there in school-based ag yet. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.